leave the door open at least a little longer. <coughs> I think we can. Hey, Hebrews was written to the Jews. And if you haven't noticed, the Jews really, for the most part, struggle with Jesus. All right? Uh, that it all wasn't what they were expecting. The Messiah they were hoping for would have been a strong political king. It would have been very powerful. Uh, I'm sure this person would have come with great armies and great wealth. And they even thought maybe, you know, it would, you know, revert back to a kingdom almost like David's kingdom, only with a real Messiah coming. Um, it didn't happen that way. But this guy, Jesus, came on the scene, and he revolutionized everything. Wherever he went, crowds gathered. His stories were different. People would shout over and over, you know what, you teach different. You have more authority. There's more power. And then the miracles started coming. And he would start proclaiming things like he was the Messiah. And, whoa, the religious community got really upset. But if you weren't part of the religious community, you really were mesmerized. You were drawn in. Some people even began to follow Jesus and listen. Lives were being transformed. And nobody could deny any of that. No one could deny it. And so as a result, he spent about three years doing ministry. And then he died on the cross. He paid our debt for our sins and talked often about how he had to die in order for other people to live. Well, the good news is, is that that message continues. And it transformed lives then as it does today. And there were a whole lot of Jews that eventually began to go against their culture in an unbelievably bold way. So people came to faith. Churches were started that were filled with Jewish believers. They started new communities. And they had a letter written to them. Nobody knows who wrote it. No one even knows who was part of this church or this community or this gathering. But it was probably written right before the most severe of all the persecutions when Nero came. About 65, 66 A.D. But the message was really clear in Hebrews. Um, Jesus is better than Moses, Joshua, Aaron. Whoa. To us, those are Bible names. To the Jews, they were patriarchs. They were history. There was nobody more esteemed than Moses. I mean, let's face it. I mean, he's got a cool statue right now. But back then, it was everyone esteemed Moses. He was more than a hero. The book of Hebrews says that uh, Jesus is better than the high priests. All of their human high priests. All the human high priests that had to die. All the human high priests that had to make sacrifices for themselves before they could make sacrifices for the nation of Israel. He's better than all the high priests. He's better than any rituals, any better than any sacrifices. In fact, what the Jews heard is that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. Is that you didn't have to have any more sacrifices. You mean every day? I mean, there's seven types of sacrifices if you're an Orthodox Jew. So none of those sacrifices had to happen? 
I didn't have to bring doves, or I didn't have to bring lambs, or I didn't have to... And you name it. No, you didn't. Better than the prophets. Jesus was both king and priest. And Jesus showed us, amazing, what God actually looked like and what God actually acted like. I mean, we start off right in the first few verses of Hebrews. You want to know who God is? You want to know what God looks like? Well, some of you had the opportunity to meet Jesus. There were still had to be some people who were alive. I mean, it was only about 30 years after Christ had died at this moment. So I'm sure there were some that, well, lives were transformed because they heard who Jesus was. You know, the message was, don't miss out on this relationship with Jesus. Before, it felt like a whole lot of rules and regulations. And then if you listen to the priests, or you listen to all the religious ones, they added more and more and more rules. It was important to keep the Sabbath. But by the time the Pharisees got done, there were 600 different laws that you had to accomplish in order to not break the Sabbath. You know... Whoever the author was, was so concerned. I want you to have this relationship. God has better plans for you than you can ever imagine. Way better than even your ancestors. And we looked at just a few things where your ancestors were promised life, abundant life, in this place called Canaan. The promised land. If you would just go over there, it's going to be amazing, especially if you compare it to what slavery is. The food and having your own houses and having your own crops and, and being able to live life, well, under the authority of the king, not under the authority of Pharaoh. God wanted to give them rest, but they lacked faith. They chose existence, but God's promise still stands. And if you were with us last week, and I'm not going to go over a lot of things, but I want to look again just at chapter 4, verse 1. And I want to read it to you before we jump down to verse 6 where we're going to start today. Because as I shared with you last week, this trembling thing hasn't gone away. I had a few different groups again this week and, and people were just asking, well, what are you thinking? What's God, you know, what are you learning? And, and I just kept going back to chapter 4, verse 1. And, and this is what the author says. God's promise of entering His rest, or we call life with God, or abundant living, whatever you'd like to put in there, still stands. We ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. I don't know who the recipients actually were. But it feels to me that the author was known it feels to me that he's throwing his cards out on the table and he's saying, I just, I'm, I'm scared. My knees are knocking. I'm not doing well at night. It's, it's overwhelming me. I want you to experience God's rest. Apparently, this person had experienced God's rest. Knows what it is living with God. Understanding how to connect with God. Listening to the Holy Spirit. And he was blown. His, his mind was absolutely blown with how wonderful Jesus, the Messiah, the King of the universe was. And asked, 
I just want you to know, His promise is still there. It's still available. You guys can enjoy it. Living with God is so much better than living apart from God. How did that land for you this week? Did that shake you up? Did you rethink about it? Did you not think about it at all since you left last week? Which is okay. I'm not going to have anyone raise their hands. You know. But how does that language hit you? Whoever this author is had a relationship with God that was unbelievable. And just said, I tremble. I tremble. You're not going to get this. Somehow you're going to miss this. Somehow you're going to go through life and just, well, have a desert experience. It was kind of cool. Yeah, you had food. I get that. And every once in a while, water have a rock. That was cool. You know, we can talk grandkids that, I think. You know. But the difference? Did that hit any of you? Does it give any credence to this leading up to maybe Paul wrote this, you think? I'll fall short of the glory of God and I'll fall short of His rest. You know, nobody knows who wrote it. And, and maybe Paul did. But I can tell you, most of the sharper people on this planet that study the Bible than me probably don't think Paul did. My dad thought Paul wrote Hebrews. And that would be one of our discussions. And I always lost. Just want you to know. Um, I'm not so sure it was brains as it was total respect and that he just was relentless. Um, so you have to give up and go to bed someday. All right, Dad, Paul wrote Hebrews. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Okay, what's your, what's your Bible say then? Therefore, since the promise of entering its rest stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Mine says, let us be Be careful, St. Jerry Michael. Well, fear, what's your version, Linda? Fear. Uh, ESV. ESV. And it says, let us fear any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not gonna poke on verse. I. I just know. Yeah, that there. There is something here that the author is saying. Man, don't miss it. Don't miss it. And that's kind of where I just stayed all week long. Was I, I don't want to miss this. I, I don't want to miss all that God has for me right now. I do believe, and we're going to talk about heaven. I, I shared that with you last week. We're going to get there in just a little bit because rest changes just a little bit um, in, in our latter part of this chapter. But I just know that God has called us on mission, that God has given us unbelievable opportunities, and He desires for us to be able to experience all that He has. And... Although the enemy is powerful and we talk about temptation and so on, you know, following the enemy or doing your own thing, following yourself, the joy is just so short-lived. The ramifications are so ugly. The fruit of disobedience is so horrific in the long run. It is just so sweet for the moment. 
And nobody, you know, has to drill that in. We all know what it means not to listen to God and what that ends up doing. Um, let's go. Let's go to chapter 4, starting at verse 6. And I'll read 6 and 7. And we'll see how far we get tonight. All right. Uh, so the author starts this, verse 6. So God's rest, in this case again, we're talking about, so God's promise of life, God's li- so, so the opportunity for you to live with God, His faith, rest, life, all those different um, modifiers, is there for people to enter. And I just want to stop there. All the author is saying is, hey, it's there. It's on the table. Reach for it. It's available for you. Don't exist. I mean, again, anytime something's repeated, we want to pay a special attention to. Well, since the middle of chapter 3, this is all the author is really saying. He's just saying, don't you understand how big and wonderful a relationship with God and living in a dynamic way with Him is? Please, it's available. Enter in. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter what God was offering them because they disobeyed God. So, God sent another time for entering His rest. And that time is today. God announces through David much later in the words already quoted, Today when you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. You know, I don't know if you mark your Bibles or write in your Bibles, but one of the things I guess I would encourage you to write over that whole thing is just grace. Because God, in many ways, is relentless. He is not only offering it over and over and over again. I want you to enjoy this world right now. Not the things in this world, but I want you to enjoy me. I want you to know that that living right now is available to each one of you. We find out that disobedience is a lack of faith and it disqualifies us to experience abundant living. Remember, Again, we talk about Canaan, we go back and forth in these different rests, but what God was calling the children of Israel was into a land of giants and walled cities. Abundant living does not mean the Taj Mahal. Abundant living does not mean no problems. Abundant living does not mean great health. Okay? Life with God does not mean you never have a problem, you never have a worry, you never have a burden. Everything is always good. We all know that's not true. What God is calling us is, hey, I just want you to know, I'm going to be with you. My presence is enough. I want you to cross the Jordan. I want you to go after Jericho. I want you to enjoy all the fruit of the land. But I will be with you. The warriors are unbelievable. The armies are so strong. The challenges are there. But life with God means I'm going to walk with you. And when I walk with you, I will give you victory. 
I will give you the power. I will give you the wisdom. I will give you the strategy. I think one of the fun things to do is reading Joshua is just how all the armies and everything kind of are manipulated. I'll give you everything that you need. You just need to walk with me. I know there'll be times you're scared. If you look at Jericho, I would be scared. You walk around seven times. Remember, that's a dumb strategy. Okay, that's not a good one. But all you're doing, walking around going, how are we going to get over this one? How is he going to win? How is he going to win? This is just like impossible. This wall is so thick. No one's going to get, you know, like, is God crazy? So they walk around once, and they walk around twice, and, you know, the last day they, they, they walk around all the, and all the time, I, you know what I think? I do. <laughs> you don't know what I think, because I haven't told you. I think that God was just saying, you can't do this. <laughs> you can't do this. You cannot do this. But I can do this. So lesson number one in this amazing land. You need me. You need me. Okay? And how fast did they forget that? Pretty fast. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, they didn't ultimately listen, so um, people died. They didn't think they needed to even send their whole army. They didn't connect with God right away. They got cocky. Who's that sound like? It sounds like us. You know? And God just said, I had you walk around Jericho the whole time just to say you can't do this. So what do you do? As soon as it comes down, you don't even talk to me about what's, what's next? You don't even listen to my words? What is the problem? That's the exact same thing. God says, hey, I'm going to give you areas that you're going to love. I'm going to walk with you though. Okay? The rest I want to give you is peace of mind that it isn't tranquility around. It's my presence with you and the confidence and the resting in you, not resting in yourself. So life with God is available today. And you know what's interesting just about this part is that, okay, it's there. Um, the people before didn't take advantage of it because they disobeyed God. We get that. It's been repeated a million times. Then verse 7. So God sent another time for entering His rest. God says, I'm, I'm going to keep dumping grace on you. I'm not going to stop. I want you to enjoy my presence. I don't understand, God, why you love us so much. I don't understand why you want... Uh, I mean, if we say no to you, and we choose to go our own way, and we pay the penalty of sin ourselves, and we wallow in the mud, why would you run to me? That's the, the whole parable of the prodigal. You've disgraced me? You have lived with the pigs now? You've chosen. You don't want my life. You don't want my protection. You don't want any of that stuff. Go live your way. And by the way, you were pretty popular for a little while. Right? You were. You were the life of the party. But then all of a sudden, gourmet meals turned to pig pods? You know? Are there anything such as pig pods? <laughs> I think I just I just made that up. 
I, I, that was pretty good. Now that I think about it, pig pods. I I did because there's nothing original. Okay, but but I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking this does not sound that good, you know. And finally comes to a census. Well, you know what? Duh, light bulb. I could just go home and be a a servant and and have a lot more right now. I I, I don't even have to. But the dad is looking. The dad has been totally humiliated. He sees his son, condition he's in, doesn't give a rip, runs after the son. Wow, God. You know, I teach a class about intimacy with God on the first week of January uh, up in Nicolay. And one of the books that I have them read is called Prodigal God. And, and it's, it's by Tim Keller. And the whole book really is just about this parable. And the bottom line is, is that I can talk to the kids up in Nicolay all I want about connecting with God. I can. And they can do it and they can get good grades and they can answer all the right questions. But I spend the whole first day and a half talking about how amazing God is. I don't even talk about the disciplines. Because my heart is this. If you can understand God, who God is, just a little more. We're never going to totally understand God. We're not going to. But if you can understand today this much more, you know what you do? You get more excited. I want to spend time with you, God. And the next day, if you know this much more, God is amazing. Why would you? This is absolutely not right. Don't run after that grimy little kid. You know? That's, that's so, you know, he chose to go that way. You know? Let him go. No. That's not my God. And this is what he is saying here. Verse 7. So God sent another time for entering rest. I just want you to know, I'm not going to give up. Today you can enter my rest, okay? And today is the time. The only prerequisite, or prerequisite, don't harden your heart. When you hear my voice, respond. That's how this relationship works best. You didn't listen back in Egypt, your, your, you know, your ancestors. Look how it ended for them. In fact, look at all of history. In fact, look around. When you disobey God, things don't go well. Then we jump to verse 8. And honestly, um, this is a fun few verses here. Because really what, what the author does, it goes back for just a little bit. He says, now if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, or they've been able to go to the promised land, God would have not spoken about another day of rest still to come. They would have enjoyed that time. Okay? But look, look what the scriptures say. So there is a special rest. Now, I don't know what your versions say, but this is something you can circle or whatever. But this is, a, this is the first time a different word for rest is being used. Okay? And it, it almost comes from the word Sabbath. It isn't exactly the same thing, but, but that's why many of your translations might even go and say, so there is a special Sabbath rest. 
that is waiting for you. First time, this is different. You had to figure out what rest meant by the context all the way before this. But now the author says, no, I'm blowing this off. I don't want you at all to even misunderstand this. But here's what he said. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. This is a futuristic thing. This is something that hasn't happened. All right. It's something that's going to happen uh, in in time ahead here. And then verse 10. For all who have entered God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. And I'm going to stop right there. You know, a promise of a special Sabbath rest is coming. The special Sabbath rest that the author is talking about is heaven. It is the time when ultimately life with God will be perfect. Remember, there's three benefits of salvation. The first one is that you're justified or that your sin is paid for. The second one is that you're being sanctified or that you are learning what it is to become holy. God is chipping away all the garbage off of you, away from you, so that you reflect God better to others, and that you grow in your relationship with God. It's living life with God. It's living right now. But then there's something called glorification. And that means we have freedom from the presence of sin. You see, sin has a debt. And we live right now with the consequences of sin, all right? But again, being holy is that God begins to refine you and chip away all the things. So you're becoming holy, more holy, more Christ-like, and eventually you will be holy. You will be like what Jesus Christ looks like and acts like. You will be in heaven. Now again, when you're 22 years old, and you've got to remember is that uh, I was a youth pastor for 27 years. A very hot topic was not heaven. I'm letting you know. Okay? I don't even know if I talked in those 27 years five times about heaven. Now, I would mention it. Okay? But that was not a motivating factor for a 16-year-old. Okay, I want to obey God so I can enjoy heaven. I can't wait till I get to heaven. I can't wait to see God. It, it's like, you know, a young adult, a 16-year-old or whatever, that is not a motivator. But you know what I've found out over the years, because I am maturing, all right, is that as you get older and older, you see the consequences of sin. You see the pain. You look at what our world is looking like. A world that's chasing after their own gods and their own ways. And we look, in some cases it, it's revolting. You know, Sometimes it makes you sad. And, and we realize that, that people don't have life without Jesus. We get that part. But it seems over the top at times. And then you spend time with people that aren't walking with God, or maybe family members, and you spend your time begging them and asking them, would you listen to God? Would you obey God? Do you understand how important this relationship is? And they make poor choices. And then you live with the consequences of their sin, and you live with the consequences maybe of your own sin, and you live with 
with our world that's deteriorating and breaking down. And then you start losing some health and some strength. And the thing that excites you every day is the time that you spend with your Lord. I wondered why my mom would talk about God or Jesus more than she talked about anything else during her last days. It was not hard to talk about the Bible or to read the Bible to her. And she would always have these favorite passages. She just would. And they'd be talk about investments. And they'd talk about who God is. And she would just look at you and say, I'm ready, Rick. I'm ready, Rick. And, I, and in my, you know, um, know-it-all attitude or, or son or oldest son or whatever you want to do, I'm glad you're ready, Mom. I'm glad you're ready. I mean, this is good. But I'm starting to understand it a little more now. And saying, you spent all these years with your Lord. You know, that body you have is pretty bad. You know, your mental capacity is, well, it's, it's not as sharp as it was, Mom. You know, getting up every day, you know, taking an hour to dress, that, that's, that's a lot of work. You know, parts aren't moving, things aren't working well. Why wouldn't you want a new body? Why wouldn't you want to see your Savior that you've been spending time with so much of your life? And that's the reward. This is not a good motivator, like I said, for someone that hasn't walked with God much. It isn't. But as you spend time with our Lord, and that's the message I give with these 19 and 20 and 21 year olds, I don't try to motivate them to get really excited about heaven by the time I leave after one week of class. What I try to do is say, why don't you think about spending time with God now? And then if you spend time with your Lord every day for the next 30 years, do you know how different you'll know your God? Do you know how precious He will be? Do you know how better you'll be able to hear His voice? Do you realize that if God gives you that many years, how exciting it's going to be to literally shut your eyes and open them in a place where there is no pain and there is only God for the rest of eternity. To some people, again, that sounds terrible. How? Spend time with God forever? Like, are you kidding me? You know what? I don't even argue with people like that. You know all that does is tell me, you don't know God. That's all. I'm not, I'm not mad at you. I'm not. But you don't know God. Because even what I know about God, He is so attractive, I can't wait. Now, I'm not morbid. I hope. You know. But I realize things are a lot better coming than they are right now. Do I want to hang around? Do I want to see my grandkids? Do I want to... Of course I want to do those things. I do. And I don't know what God's plans are for me. But I know this. Is that this special rest is coming. And it's going to be unbelievable. And in the first... And I know there's no time in heaven. But in the first few seconds... In the very first few seconds, I will know how wonderful and gracious and big and terrific 
And I will be so excited for eternity even though I don't understand what eternity is. In the first few seconds. That's how wonderful it will be. So our author is saying, hey, don't miss out. I am scared stiff. I am worried. I am careful. Whatever your translation says, please, this is available to you. I want you to have it. I want you, in fact, God says it's available today. Would you respond? Eventually, though, yes. In an instant, everything will be put in perspective. You get to spend eternity in heaven. Then we go to verse 11. No kidding. Does the guy stutter or the author stutter? Like, what is his problem here? His problem is, Jews, don't miss out. Look at this. So let us do our best. This is not just like, okay, kind of, you know what, I'll I'll, kind of try to diet this year. You know, I, I mean, you know, like, if the right foods appear on my table, you know, yeah, okay, I'm up for it for one meal. It's not that. It's, it's do your best. Set yourself up. Recognize that this is a priority to enter the rest. Isn't that, I, I mean, even the concept is kind of goofy. Work hard to enter the rest. Now, it's not working hard to go on vacation. Okay? The vacation does not give you the rest you need. Now, some people think they do. Okay, but what God is saying, rest or life with me, this faith rest life, this this peace that comes from listening to me, walking with me, enjoying me. This is unbelievable. So work hard to enter that. Don't get distracted. Don't be derailed that this life with God is amazing and it's important. It's all about our obedience. Because, but if we disobey God, really, as the children of Israel, really, we've got to talk about them again. Remember, we're talking to the Jews. <laughs> and I'm going to remind you, when they disobeyed God, things did not go well. Got it? So, you can enter the rest, you can enjoy life with me, or you can disobey. Exist, end up in slavery, walk around a desert, Choice is yours. That's it. It's always there. If you don't listen, we will fall. And then, although the verse, again, is probably taken out of context all the time, and not in a bad way, it's just, as you look at this, almost every one of you know Hebrews 4.12, but it, it doesn't seem to fit here. I mean, if you just kind of read through it, you're talking about the rest, then all of a sudden... You know, this this verse pops here, and you go like, what is this all about? And I really just think this, is that God's Word is critical in living life with God. He, all the way through, he's saying, don't disobey. Don't disobey. Well, what's he saying? How do we hear from God? Now, I guess God can give you a nice soft whisper at times, and I guess a nudging at times. But really, God's Word is a priority. And if you're with us in our Second Timothy study, we spent about two weeks talking about the importance of God's Word. How sweet it is. God's Word is a light. God's Word is a lamp. God's Word is, is a fresh rain. God's Word is a convicting. God's Word is a fire. 
God's word. And, and there's all these metaphors. But the bottom line is, is God's word reveals God to us. It gives us our instruction. It helps us understand. It's our marching orders. Well, that sounds kind of gross. It's our love letter. I'd much rather talk it like or talk about it like that. It's our loving Father saying, I can guide you and direct you and help you understand how to live your life. I want you to pick up the love letter. I'm not telling you, you know, I, I made you, I know how you're wired. I don't care what the culture says, listen to me. It's so very, very important. Now again, as we've been hearing, we can pick up God's Word, okay, and just read it to get information, to do our job, to say I read it, or whatever. Or you can read it to hear from the Almighty, to listen to what He says, and for you to get excited and be able to say, I want to listen to you. One of the things, again, I've I've tried to share is that my perspective of God and understanding He's my Lord or my Master, um, I, I just don't know if I'm just inside don't like being called a slave. Now, I can say that. We can all say that. It's in the Scriptures. Or, you know, Paul says it really good. I'm a bond slave, even. You know, I, I, I get this whole thing. But I do feel like I relate so much better to the king. I... I know that this is a good king. I know that I'm a subject of his. But even more than that, I'm a son of his. I know that I live in his kingdom. And I know that this king knows what's best for me. And will make good choices. And and put me in spots where I will thrive. And then to serve a good king. And we all have our movies. We all have our King Arthurs and, and, and every, you know, all the other different heroes. Some of you are a little more romantic kind of bent or kind of mushy stuff. But, but the truth is, soldiers or knights will do anything for a good king, won't they? I mean, it's like, why are you going to give your life up for that? Oh man, look, look what he's done. Look how he protects my family. Look how he does this. This is just amazing. And this is the king that we have. And so this king has written us orders and, and, and a love letter. But look what he says about his word. Chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is alive and it's powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between the joint and the marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes, and He is the one to whom we're accountable. One of the things that God's Word does for us is that it gives us the ability to respond in a healthy and and have right perspective. You see, if we open up God's Word and think again that we kind of know everything or just doing it kind of religiously, I don't think it has the impact. But if you allow God's Word to convict you, 
to open up your eyes. It is sharp. It is discerning. Um, it is convicting. And of course, the Holy Spirit is the one that uses God's Word in our life. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. The Holy Spirit takes these words and they become living words in our life. Truth is this, is that this author is begging, pleading with every one of the Jews, maybe some of them not saved yet, maybe some of them uh, running from God, maybe some of them wondering if they made the right choice, like following this new fad, this Jesus thing, all that, saying this, please, you have a better High priest, the better priest, the better sacrifice. As you continually read this, I, I, you have a life that is promised by God. An abundant life. A life that is full and meaningful. Live with me. Embrace this. And eventually, just a little side note, you're going to have the perfect rest. The Sabbath rest. The rest that will be for eternity, forever and ever and ever. But, right now you're not there. So please, would you please, would you please believe me? Walk with God. Listen to God. Open up His Word. You will never, ever regret that. Now the next section, seriously, is about, we, we switch gears and go, if you look at uh, chapter uh, 4, verse 14, we start talking about Christ the High Priest. And it is a rich section. It's a full section. And I've kind of even abbreviated it if, if we had time. But what I would like to do is actually, even though you guys have stuck with me in the study, um, uh, some of you were for Second Timothy, and, and now you're here in Hebrews. Um, oftentimes I, I go a little overtime. Oftentimes I don't even let you breathe. Oftentimes I just kind of like machine gun wager or something. Okay. Um, my wife helped me see the light. Uh, and, and basically what I'd, what I'd like to do is this. Uh, before I go ahead and continue to cram things down your throat, um, I'd like to just say this. You know, to me, this actually, again, I'm the teacher, but it's been rather exciting. It's been rather fresh. If, if there's one thing I think our culture needs, I can say is rest. But I'm going to forget the culture. I'm just going to say, if there's one thing I need, life is crazy. I need rest. And, and that's what God has offered. And He's still offering it today. And He's a gracious God and saying, would you please take it? Would you please spend time with me? Like, I am life. Alright? I will satisfy your thirst. I will take care of your hunger. I'm it. Jesus is it. How, how does that make you... Let me open it up. Are you encouraged? Does it get you excited? Are there questions? What's going on in your head? Sharon. Oh, sorry, but sure. oh, just kidding. Oh, I was just thinking that, you know, my mother had cancer at 48 and, and died at 50, and, you know, and I remember thinking, 
you know, God, you know, I mean, why did you do this? But at least she made it to an old life, you know. Hmm. I was probably 25 at the time, you know. And, and now, you know, I was, as we were talking with the thing that, that went through my mind over and over, I was relating myself to your mother. You know, just the, you know, the, how at peace she was, you know, and uh, as with my mother, you know, just, but they're, they're like patriarchs to me, you know, some yeah. of these women that are just, you know, you'd go to, walk in to say goodnight, mom, and she'd be on her knees, you know, that type of thing, and, and there was absolutely no fear, even though she was only 48. And you're part of that legacy, Kim. You're part of the prayer, part of the things that your mom, I'm not so sure they can look down. I mean, I know everyone says they can see us and so on, but you'll see her someday, I know, whether she can see you or not. And that's kind of cool, you know, the seeds. You know, and I think, you know, expressing that to our, our own children, you know, it's like, hey, you know, whatever happens, we'll be waiting for you. Yeah. It's just, uh, just a, a warm, tender thought of, of the love of Christ. Right. I take rest as 
being in my recliner with a blanket, yeah. pretending to read a book while I fall asleep. <laughs> but this rest is exciting. That's what I've gotten from tonight. I've written down right now, priority again, tremble. This is this is exciting. Yeah. It's Walt Cities and Giants. Yeah. I like that the analogy that they went around the wall just to see how big it was and there wasn't anything they could do about it. It's a great because there are a lot of stuff like that in our life. Yeah. Too big and nothing to And then when God works, isn't that exciting? I, I mean, really. That, that is exciting. I think verse 10 kind of concurs where it talks about uh, God also resting from labor. And, uh, yeah. you know, even though God is on, on the move, active, he's, he's in a place of rest. And, uh, yeah. So, you know, that's where it's God is, that's where I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. And God didn't rest because he was tired. You, you got to remember that. You know. some hard verses in, in chapter 6. And you don't probably understand a whole lot about Melchizedek and you know, you're know you in good company there. It's, it's, uh, those are some hard chapters, I would say, in 6 and 7 and 8. But what I would encourage you to do is you just kind of continue to read because I'm not sure when we'll get back to Hebrews or, or any of these different things. But as you continue to read... Um, the book starts hopping at the last part of chapter 9 and all, all the way through the end of chapter 13. And even some of the things that you're not understanding completely start to make sense a little bit more. But I would also encourage you to do this. I would never say don't study. If there's a part that you're struggling with or that you're wrestling with, how about that? I, I'd say dig in. But don't be defeated or derailed because of chapter 6 and you can't get through that and understand some of that and, and stop. I, I, the way that I look at scripture sometimes, and I don't know if this is just totally perfect, but you know God, um, I'm not getting this, I'm not getting it from the commentaries, I'm not getting it from the, from the Holy Spirit, and, and maybe you're going to give it to me someday. But I'm going to trust that it's right, whatever you said here, and I'm going to keep reading. <laughs> and, and sometimes I skip some things, and sometimes I move over some things and just try to hear again. Maybe uh, God's going to teach me something later on. Or, um, and, I, and again, I think there are some, sometimes some easy answers in the Scriptures. But sometimes the easy answers don't seem to satisfy that well either. 
you know, th- there's something more there, and we're not, you know what, we, we don't live there. We don't understand all the innuendos. We don't totally get it. But the truth is, there's a lot in this book. And what I'll do for the just next two minutes, I, I would like to read uh, verses 14, 15, and 16. Uh, because it kind of opens up another another chapter in this whole chronicle, the way I look at it. Um, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he has faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly into the throne of our gracious God, that we may receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it the most. Let me just paint this picture. This is rich. It is rich um, in Jewish history. Understanding the high priest, all that the high priest did, um, is, is worth a study. But realistically, the high priest, if I could put it as simply as possible, was the mediator between God and Israel's people. Okay, his people, Israel. And what is so cool is that every other high priest died. Every other high priest had to do sacrifices for himself. Every other high priest, well, didn't have the wisdom that Jesus did. But now we have a high priest, a perfect mediator. In fact, if you're reading Job, one of Job's heart cries was, if I only knew that there would be someone that would help me connect with God. And really his heart cry was for Jesus. In, in that whole respect. So what the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, I just want you to know, Jesus is our amazing high priest. He not only is somebody who can relate completely to every one of you, but he's going to talk to God on your behalf. And when you need him, go boldly. And again, we look at the king, we look at you know, this throne room type of thing. Uh, you know, we can look at the veil that was rent. And, and again, some of Scott's messages talked about uh, how amazing that miracle is. It uh, just, just opens up the access to God. And Jesus is the one that does that. And Jesus is the one that says, when you need mercy, when you need grace, I want you to come to me. I am king. I am high priest. I am the one you need to come to. All this other stuff, you knew of. But man, I am going to blow them out of the water because I can pray better. I can always be there with you. You have access to God completely every day, not just one day during the year. This is so cool. So Jesus is well worth hanging out with, spending time with, and living with. You'll never regret it. Let's pray. Father, thank you again just for reminding us of your grace. You want to give us abundant life. You want us to enjoy all that you have. And God, we know that abundant life doesn't mean easy. It means walled cities and giants. So Lord, you put us each in places um, specifically in order to be your hands and feet. We're on mission with you. We get to listen to you. We get to enjoy your presence. 
and we get to march to your orders. We have opportunities that none of us deserve, and we just want to say thank you. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen.